Emily Verta is an accomplished professional with over 11 years of experience running, managing, and curating programming within co-working businesses in Miami. Her comprehensive experience encompasses all aspects of operations, sales, and program curation, resulting in exceptional growth, member retention, and community engagement. Having demonstrated a flair for connection, Emily has consistently nurtured a strong sense of community by strategically playing connect the dots with and cultivating fruitful relationships across a plethora of creative industries. Her ability to build strong ties with diverse sectors has not only expanded networking opportunities for co-working members, but has also contributed to the overall success and profitability of her ventures. Equipped with a deep understanding of the importance of community engagement, Emily has successfully created a sense of belonging and camaraderie within the co-working spaces she has managed. She has curated dynamic and engaging programs that have enriched the co-working experience for members and businesses. Through strategic events, workshops, and networking initiatives, she has fostered an inclusive and vibrant ecosystem where collaboration thrives. A true advocate for the power of community, Emily continues to elevate the co-working experience by facilitating connections, promoting collaboration, and driving innovation within the industry. Her proven track record for sales growth, member retention, and community engagement is a testament to her unwavering dedication to excellence within the co-working industry. Amazing. That's you. That's a badass (laughs) intro. I love it. Oh, man. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome, Emily. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy. Thank you for um, sharing a little bit about yourself uh, in the form of a bio to get us started. And welcome to the Culture Road Podcast. Thank you for having me. Really excited. Truly. So it's so good. I know we've been um, trying to coordinate dates for a while, and I'm so happy that it worked out and that we're here together in Miami. um, And... You and I have um, only recently met, but just seems like there's so many really interesting topics and threads and experiences um, to talk about. So I'm so excited to be able to have some of that space here with you today. I think the one person we we need to also thank is Zaid. That's our common person. And again, to that whole connecting the dots, like he's, I think he's very much on that wavelength of like community, let's go. You guys need to be talking, get in front of each other. Like, so yeah. So Zaid Portillo was a guest on a previous podcast. If you didn't, if you didn't see Zaid's podcast episode, please watch it. It was amazing talking about super cool ideas about creativity and AI and technology and leadership. Um, So big shout out to Zaid. All right, my friend, let's talk about you. So Um, one of the things that, uh, you know, we focus on here at the Culture Road podcast is the idea that we are in the midst of a pretty significant cultural transformation. I think that's the definition of transformation, right? It's something Absolutely. that is uh, kind of a radical change from the status quo. The whole world is going through a very substantial um, change in many different ways. And so with thinking about transformation, it's always helpful to think about not just where we're going and the path to get there together, hopefully, but also where we've been and where Mm. we come from and how we've gotten to this point. So with that framing, I'd like to invite you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Where where are you coming from and how Mm. did you get to be the person we now know as Emily? Well, um, born and raised in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, um, I would say the road to where I am now was definitely a long one in that I would say, and I think that that definitely applies to a lot of folks where, you know, you tend to want to stand still where you're the most comfortable. So again, having that sense of community, you have your family, your friends, and everything that you know to be true uh, within probably like a 50 mile radius. Um, But from the time that I was a child, I, I've had this thing, and I don't know if it's because I'm Sagittarius, maybe, with like five other placements on Sagittarius, but um, I've always had this wild sense of adventure. And so the moment that I was able to like do something on my own, like it was going to happen at light speeds, like I was already thinking of like the places I will go outside of even the U.S. So for me, it was, you know... Uh, I definitely showed a very uh, strong uh, interest in 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 wanting to venture out, and so that kind of 
took a life of its own when I decided to go to Ireland for a stint, uh, fell in love, then broke up with a guy, came back. And then I decided, oh, wait, let me go back to school, work on my second degree, and why not do it in, in sunshine? So mm. that's how I ended up in Miami. Um, I still have lots of friends and family uh, in Boston, but it's one of those places where it's really comforting to be there for short periods of time. But, you know, it's it's not – I feel like home is where you make it, right, where right. you're – that strong sense of community and, like, where you've kind of grown – as an adult, right? And so Miami has become very much that for me. Love it. Love it. I love this sense <laughs> of kind of adventure and wanting to go out and explore new things. How, do you, how did you choose Ireland? Like, how did that become the destination going directly from Boston to Ireland? Honestly, it was one of those things. Um, I had just wrapped up my, uh, my first degree and I just, I, don't, I had, so this is how it went. <laughs> I, I had packed up uh, my apartment that I had in Dover, New Hampshire, and I had sent an email from my AOL email. This is so. This is back in back like two thousand and seven, and I had sent an email to all my friends. I'm like, "Hey guys, I've left the door unlocked. The key, you know, once you guys are done grabbing what you want, just hand it over to my landlord. I've already communicated with him, and so." What they didn't know is right when I sent that email, I was already like at Logan Airport. I had gone to the checkout counter and I was like, where's like what what's the next ticket out of here? And they're like, oh, do you want to go to New York? Do you want to go to Cal? You know, and I'm just like, no, like out of here. I have my passport. Let's go. And so that's how I ended up in Ireland. Because that was the next place? Dublin. Yeah. Get out. One way ticket. I just left. Wow. And, and again, it was very much rooted in, you know, I, I mean, I think everyone's uh, home life looks very different. I think that's what makes us all so unique, right? Um, but for me, it was um, always just wanting to see different things, experience different people and foods and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas with my family, they've always been just so deeply rooted in like yeah. where they're at. And not that there's anything wrong with that by any means, but for me, it was like just always having that, like, I want more. Yeah, I want to yeah. see stuff. You know what I mean? The world is too big. I'm not a tree. Like I want to go look at stuff, yeah. you know? And so that's how I ended up in Dublin. I'd love it. That's a great story. You know, it's interesting the way you describe the story, like, you started in a place and it wasn't, and, and you just had a desire to go somewhere else. It wasn't like you were running from something. It no. wasn't like there was trouble at home. You just had a desire, a yearning to go somewhere else. And then over time, as you got into at first Ireland and then, and then Miami, that, that there have been experiences where you kind of acculturate. And there's a really cool model called a U-curve model that perfectly reflects what you were describing. Like we we start off in a place and we understand what our culture is. We understand what our place in that spot is. And then we decide to go into a new context, into a new cultural context. It can be a new nation or it could be a new job. It could be a new relationship. And at first we get there and we're super excited. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh my goodness, this is pretty significantly different than mm -hmm. where I've been so far. And after a period of time, we acculturate. We kind of get our bearing. We start to understand our way around in that new space. And then we get to a place where we actually feel very comfortable in that new space. And that experience has led us to also being kind of more prepared for the next adventure and even kind of hungry for the next adventure because we know we have it in us. We know that that kind of ability to move in and out of culture is something that we are capable of doing. The cool thing, though, about the the model is that it also has another piece of it that makes it into a W, like from a U curve going into a new place. Oh my goodness, this is really tricky. I don't know if I should be here or not. I'm going to stick it out. I eventually acculturate and I'm comfortable in the new space. And then the W part is when we go back home hmm. and we get back home and we're like, oh, everybody's still here. And at first it's like, oh my goodness, I'm so happy to be back. Yeah. I'm so happy to see my family. It feels good. It feels comfortable. And then you're like, Mm, this ain't exactly right for me anymore because no. you, we ourselves have changed at that point. But what 
the culture around us does is try to bring us back in. They're like, girl, stay. You, mm. you know you're supposed to be here. Come yeah. on back. You got your heart. Your, well, your heart's broke. Just come on back home. And that W curve is like people trying to bring you back to mm. home, wherever home is. Yeah. And then, and then, but you then are kind of fundamentally different, right? And so that experience is is a really cool one to think about. Like as you move in and out of these different cultures, that home will still be there, and home will still be doing the thing that it does. Right. Like this is us. This is come on home whenever you whenever you're ready. We'll be yeah, here. Absolutely. I love that. Um, so now here you are yes. in Miami, and you are um, uh, leading an amazing uh, community space. How did you get into the world of communities and building community? Um, because it sounds like the work that you do is both very in-person and kind of tactile. It's very much involving kind of developing and nurturing relationships. And it also puts you on the cusp, I think, of some of these cultural transformations that are happening as far as people Absolutely. looking for connection. How did you get into this? I don't think that anyone ever um, strategically plans to be in co-working. But I would say what led me to it was um, learning some very um, hard truths about another industry. Um, I had gotten my second degree in public relations. And, you know, like when you have uh, this movie in your head of how you see something working out, right? So the movie in my head was, okay, I'm going to change the world first yeah. and foremost. <laughs> and so I'm going to use my public relations degree uh, to work for a nonprofit organization. And I'm just going to change the game. Like, you know, it's, it, like, I can't just sit here and wait for someone else to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I would say that very – so post, you know, graduation, uh, very quickly, slowly and then all at once, really, I learned that, you know – and obviously this isn't, I, I don't like blanket statements. I don't think that all nonprofits operate in this way, but very quickly. And then, you know, I learned that while you may be there for a certain set of, of reasons, your why, right? Um, that sometimes just may not be the case for everyone involved. Um, and it just, it was a little bit disheartening. It broke mm -hmm. my heart a bit and then a lot. And then I decided I wanted to kind of start from zero doing something else, mm -hmm. but also knowing that a lot of what I've learned in school is like applicable on a wide range of, of yeah, things. Yeah. And so I ended up um, at Miami Shared. It was my first co-working space that I worked at in downtown. And then from there, it's 11 years later, I'm at Ampersands, and it's, in my opinion, being able to have operated out of a lot of these different spaces, where I have arrived feels like, you know, the Super Bowl of sorts, <laughs> uh, considering, you know, what uh, what the space has become for a lot of uh, creative folks in Miami, and, and now, you know, we're about to open up in Nashville and it's onwards and upwards. It's, you know, there's no sky, like you, outer space. I love it. I <laughs> love it. Point, Dream. You know? Aspire. That's right. Yeah. It's so cool because I, of course, have been to Ampersand. I think it's glorious. It's a beautiful it space. Um, so it's beautifully designed. It's in a super cool mm. area, part of town. But also you um, have really cultivated a great sense of um, like the, the organizational culture, like how it feels to walk mm -hmm. inside, right? To actually walk around and to see the kind of people who are there and the kind of, uh, the way people dress and the way people are greeted and, and, and just the way people kind of flow through the space has a really positive feel to it. And that can't be unintentional. That must be something that you very intentionally like bring to that physical space. I would say mm, I'm super sensitive I'm very sensitive. Um, I'm also very strong, but but not to say that one, you know, you need one or the other. For me, it's like they both exist within my existence. And so to that end, this is where I tell you that it's always been very important for me uh, to be comfortable in all the spaces, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I think of my job, it's very client facing. So one of the things that I make my absolute business, my number one priority is every person that walks through that space feels the way that I want to feel yeah, all yeah. the time, right? So from the scent that you are met with from the moment you walk in the door to how you're greeted at front of house to what's playing in the background, which 
they're all my playlists. I've curated each and every one of them. It's supposed to be like this journey, you know, as you're working through the day and, and oh, you're going to grab a cup of coffee in the kitchen now. And it's they're all these just mindful elements within the space that just, you know, people can't help but continue to come back day after day. I love it. I love the And even just, you know, inserting language like the mindfulness, right, that that it community and connection and a sense of belonging are not um, things that just happen. They they are purposeful um, acts that are curated by every single one of us. And you obviously have something to do with that, but clearly it set a tone for the kind of people who are, you're you're attracting and how it is that people are behaving in that space together, which is you know the definition of culture. So it's pretty it's pretty beautiful what you've created. I know that I. I, the last time I was there, I was tasting like lavender honey with you. And I'm like, oh my God, I love this space. <laughs> you know, there's just this beautiful kind of element of creativity and very authentic um, engagement. Congratulations. Tell, tell us a little bit about, you have a leadership role, obviously. Tell us a little bit about kind of your leadership philosophy and how it is that you, um, you know, what you bring to managing the people that you work with there. I think that. I think before I answer that question, mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's a big, uh, over time, there has been a, a little bit of a misunderstanding with what it means to be a manager. Mm. And I think that this is very well one of those few little things that humanity has in common in, uh, we all have that one experience or many of a bad manager. Yes. And I think it's, it's deeply rooted in a misunderstanding. I think that to be an effective uh, manager, it's about service. Your team. It's not about oh well, I'm the boss and I have the manager role and beep boop beep. Yeah. No, that's it's none of that. It's literally okay. Big picture, small picture, the corner of the picture. You have a deep understanding of everything that needs to be done, and you know that there's no I in team, right? And so for me, it's. It's about service. It's about checking checking in with your team, making sure that they're one hundred percent great. Like I could, we could call front of house right now and ask them how many times does Emily check in through, during the day, and it's not even like, are you doing your work? It's literally like, you good? Mm. Do you need any help with anything? Have you experienced any kind of setbacks today? That you know what I mean? And and to me, it's 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 that. It's about being of service to yeah. your team so that we can all operate in a seamless, efficient way. You know. I love it. I absolutely love it. And and I agree with you that the definition of manager is often um, misconstrued. At one point, you talked some about kind of micromanaging. In an article that I read, you talked about the difference between being an effective manager and a micromanager. Mm. And I, there's, a, you know, there's a great quote, people um, join great organizations, they leave micromanagers. Mm. And, and it's, it's one of the, you know, the number one kind of killers of morale in organizational life. So the kind of way that you're talking about checking in with people, even if it's often, is more about demonstrating care. 100%. Right? Than, I think that that's one thing that, and I don't, again, it's, I, I try to be 100% with myself so that I can operate in all these other spaces at my very best. And I think one of the biggest things from my own experiences of having my share of bad managers um, is you have to care. Yeah. That's like, for me, that's like a good starting point is, okay, if you care about yourself then you're going to be able to care about everyone else in a really healthy way. And yeah. so when I say check in, um, you know, if I know that, you know, I know this friend or this, I know that one of my colleagues recently went through X, Y, and Z, I'm going to check in with them. I'm going to sit down, you know, in their space and be like, Hey, how's your spirit? Yeah. How, is there anything that I can do to like, make things a little bit better right now. Do you want some of that rose tea with lavender honey? Like you let me know. <laughs> I will share my rose tea with lavender honey. How do you do that? How do you do that? Um, Cause you know, I work with managers every day and people in leadership roles and we talk about these concepts and I develop tools and all of that stuff around these concepts. But, but still we're humans, right? We can conceptually get it. We can have theoretical frameworks. We can read the books. We can go to training. But to actually show up as the person you want to be perceived as on an off day is sometimes difficult. How do mm. you do that? Like when you're not having your very best Emily day, how do you show up as the person you want to be perceived as? 
I think that for me, it's always been very deeply rooted in um, doing, dedicating my 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 life to doing the work. Right. Yeah. That means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Um, but I think that, you know, one of the main focuses I've had in the last like five years is doing a whole lot of unlearning. Just because I'm having a bad day doesn't mean that that has to become your problem. Doesn't mean that that has to impact my manners and how I move within that space. You have nothing to do with it. So for me, when I'm having my days where I feel a little bit off, I'll be sure to communicate with my team. I'm like, you know what? I'm feeling a little bit low energy today. You know, if anyone wants to come in and or they want to like meet with me or whatever, just, you know, let them know that I'd be happy to schedule something. But I'm just going to be in my office for today and, and you know, get it. some work done. But like pretty much communi communication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> communication. Being, is, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Who, like, really? Yeah, it's it's that. Yeah. She's, she's her. <laughs> yeah, like, that's what you got to do. Well, and it, it's not only, so it's communicating on, on those days, mm. but then they also are building, they have a whole lot of other days of experiencing mm. you where you are showing up yeah. as the best version of yourself. Right. So that there's a whole context. So 100%. that, you know, if one out of 10 days or one out of 50 days, you're having an off day or a low mm. energy day, they're like, oh, okay, got mm. it. Right. And they know to respect it. And they're, they're not questioning your intentions. They're right. not questioning whether or not Never. you care, right? Yeah. Because there's all this other context. So that kind of proactive um, investment in a relationship over time. There's, there's interesting, you know, I'm going to mention the research about this, but it's interesting that we actually need... Um, a minimum of like three to one ratio as far as those touch points. There mm -hmm. needs to be at least three times as many opportunities for us to show up as the person positively and affirmatively that we want to be perceived as, mm -hmm. as opposed to the one time where we might not get something perfectly right. I don't mean a whole day, right. but we may we may forget something, or we may or we miss a miss a deadline, or come in late for a meeting or mm -hmm. something. Those sorts of um, those sorts of things can happen once out of three times, but those three times are what really matters. And optimally, in an organizational culture where relationships are really flourishing, there's a six to one ratio where so many more times we are intentionally showing up the way we want to be perceived so that that one time we're a little bit off or we need a little bit of space that's different. People are more than willing to go, yep, yeah, no problem. I got you. I know who you are. You know, we're still good. I would say a big part of that is also leading by example in that and again, we've all had that one boss, right, where you were at, at operating at 100, meeting targets, doing all of the things. And then if you had you dropped the ball the one time or if you were delayed on X, Y and Z that second other time, that becomes yep. like, you know. And so for me, it's not only do I want to to be shown compassion and grace in these moments where maybe I'm not 100 percent at my usual self, but I also make it a practice to reflect that back. Yes. Whereas, you know, if I have uh, someone on my team that comes in and they're not feeling 100%, I'm going to meet all of that with all the grace in the world yeah. and all the compassion in the world. I'm going to make them that roasty with lavender honey and I'm going to sit down with them and be like, hey, what's going on? Like, what can I do to kind of lighten the load right now? Because yeah. it looks like you have a lot going on and I want to be of service. I mean, that's what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? And then we we create these kind of virtuous cycles, Very. right? So Very instead much. of mm -hmm. people feeling like you're kind of looking for them to make a mistake, mm. which is actually how our brains sometimes are wired. We have these mental models in our brains that, um, you know, once we kind of put somebody into a category and we're like, mm, made a mistake, oh, see, second time, we actually notice those sorts of things more regularly. But if we force ourselves to look for the affirmative or the positive mm. things, then our brain actually kind of reroutes to looking for those things more regularly. And we actually start to cause that, right? Because it's really motivating for people to get caught doing something well. They realize, you know what? I appreciate that you appreciate that. Mm. And so now I'm going to do it more often, exactly. including modeling generous behavior. Yeah. yeah, but it's all it's all about service. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I love it. That's a great philosophy. <laughs> What do you um, what do you think about? And I'm going to go back to the concept of doing your own work, sure. Because I read in another article that you were interviewed in, you mentioned having kind of facing and overcoming or working through imposter syndrome. Mm. And I have to bring this topic up because, especially in in my work, 
so many conversations that I have on a day-to-day basis involve the phrase imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to to learn a little bit more about one, how did you kind of um, face it? And then two, and, and, and what, what was it kind of um, doing in your life? In what way was it presenting as a barrier for, for whatever purposes? And then three, what kind of techniques have you found to be effective for working through imposter syndrome? I would say that the way that it was showing up um, cause again, it's one of those things it's obviously we, we are very, uh, fortunate to be, to, I mean, this is history in the making, right. As far as this mental health wave and, and people are jumping on a surfboard mm-hmm. to ride it out and like, okay, Hey, let's undo a lot of these generational curses that we've been dealing with within family and everything else. And so to now arrive to a place uh, in the last five years, I want to say maybe even less where it's, you know, people are focusing on that. So to have the language now to be able to be like, oh, that's what that was. And I remember when that happened, I was uh, at my vanity and, you know, I have my morning rituals of sorts and I'm listening to Dr. Thema and the episode was on imposter syndrome. And the way that that shook me to my core to, again, arrive to a place where I was like, oh, that's what that's called. This is what's been ailing me. <laughs> One of the but so I say all that to say that I guess the way that it was showing up the most was being in certain spaces and based on facts, right? I know that I belong there. Yeah. Like I did X, Y, and Z for so long. I've proven myself here, here, here. And then I was hired to do this, and now I'm here. And so of course, naturally I belong. But to not be but to be in a place where I wasn't able to connect yep. and then show up, right? And so the way that it would impact uh, a lot of what I was doing at that time was, you know, being, and I won't even say humble because I don't, it, it wasn't even that. It was just being hesitant to make those those hard decisions, um, uh, hesitating to to stand in my power yeah. in moments where I had the authority to to make things happen, but still feeling like I had to ask for permission and then looking totally sheepish and like I wasn't that bitch when I was and I am. <laughs> and you are. <laughs> and so I don't like not to be crass or, or whatever, but it, it's one of those things. And and so that's how it was impacting. Yeah, it ended yeah. up like I was I did not realize it again, arriving to places and, and to be able to receive and, and understand better. This, this kind of thing only ever happens after lived experience and maybe repeating that same mistake over and over because it's like a cycle. Right. Yeah, and then yeah. you finally that maybe by the fourth or fifth time, you're like, oh, I get it. Bet. And so now I'm going to put into practice. And I would say nowadays, you know, it's it's very different. It's I once I and I always say this to a lot of my friends, like, you know, I'm not a masochist. Tell you got to tell me once it'll click and I and I can, you know, and sometimes it's more than once in the past, especially during my 20s. But (laughs) the moment that I was able to kind of like that click love, like, okay, that's what that is. This is why I'm doing this, that and the other. Now let's figure out some creative viable solutions so I can like, you know, blow past this. Because for me, it's always been very exciting at the thought of like what my future self, like, okay, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 16-year-old Emily, meet Emily now. Yeah. That to me has always been one of my biggest driving force. Like, look, look at her. This is you. Like, what? And so uh, for me, it was literally just having some really honest conversations with my therapist, but then also with myself and being able to sit with things. I remember when I initially, before I even brought it to my therapist, I sat with it. I was like, why are you doing that, Emily? <laughs> like, why Why do you have that feeling of not belonging or not deserving or dot, 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 all of the things, right? All of this inner dialogue that, because we tend to be the worst bullies. Yeah, yeah. To we our own to selves, yes. right? And and then, you know, then I, I I brought my therapist into the conversation and then I decided, okay, well, now that I'm like, you know, wanting to fix this and being proactive, let me have some some things that I can do to kind of stop doing this yep. because I it's onwards and upwards at all times. I'm not trying to just stand still and, and do the same thing and then kind of like, oh, complain and like, why am I like this? No, like, what am I going to do moving forward to like get past this, like heal, deal, grow. Yep. Keep going. That's exactly the mantra. 
So I would say that things that I started to kind of really put into practice is the moment that I would have these thoughts where I would doubt myself knowing good and well that I have all of this experience. I could do this in my sleep. Like there's no reason why I should like hesitate. Why was I hesitating? Because I was second guessing myself. Why was I second guessing myself? Because dot, 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 all the things, mm -hmm. right? I would start to sit with it. Literally like, okay, this is my phone. This is what it does. I send memes to my husband and my close three friends. Um, I can send emails. I can mark everyone's birthday on my calendar and it sends me reminders. Like this is what my phone does. So similar to that, I would just sit with things when they would pop into my head, like literally sit with it. Like, okay, why are you having that thought? Let's unpack that for a moment. And I call them micro therapy sessions with my own self. I love it. Because <laughs> I think that we are living in a world where it's go, go, go. Yep. Do not stop. Do not slow down. Don't rest. You're going to miss it. Like, no, I that's that's very much a big part of like what I do now uh, so that I'm able to do all the other things. So when I had these thoughts, I would sit sit with it. Yeah. Let's look at it. What does it do? Yeah. What is it like? Why? Yep. <laughs> you know, what is it contributing for the good or for the bad? Yeah. Is it weighing you down? Are you able to fly? Like what's going on? And that was definitely one of them. The other thing would be to center rest because sometimes when we're go, 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 100 miles an hour doing all of the things, it doesn't allow us time to kind of sit with ourselves, yep. catch our breath, Yep. you know? Yep. So it was, it. it was a lot of these little things that I just started to kind of incorporate within my daily practice of existing, of being a human. And I would say that the turnaround on that was, I mean... I won't, I, I can't give you like a time frame, but it was literally like the way that I think about it now, looking back, it's like, it wasn't one day to the next. It was putting things into practice. Yes. And then I, I have now arrived to a place where I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I love it. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> and you have to tend you know? to that place. You know, that's the other yeah. thing that I love, love, love the way you described it. And I love where you are right now. That's It's amazing, <laughs> right? Where you're like, I, I'm here. Yeah. Um, but also just there's like a million things about what you described that were so interesting. But but also just thinking about how um, something like imposter syndrome shows up for us where we start to have kind of doubts about whether or not I'm supposed to be here and mm. also whether or not other people believe that I'm supposed to be mm. here. Like, how am I being perceived by other people? The other, the other um, language that comes to my head around this is internalized oppression, right? Mm. Which is where we kind of layer into this our own identities and all of the messages that are associated with our identities, whether that be that as a woman or as a person of color or as a person who identifies as gay or whatever it is, as a person who might have a, a physical disability, mm. that a lot of times we hear all of these messages about our group that we start to believe whether or not we actually want to. They mm. start to be the messaging that is just so prevalent in our head about us. Mm. And so as we are in spaces sometimes where people are interacting with us, we know that they know those messages. Mm. We have also heard those messages and we're like, oh, well, we're starting to question, you know, how are they perceiving us? And that that space, that questioning causes a tremendous amount of angst. That's a lot of energy mm. that you could be spending on other things. Just 100%. the angst about, am I supposed yep. to be here? Let alone do other Absolutely. people think I'm supposed to be here? And then how much more do I have to kind of prove myself worthy mm. of being here? Um, and that effort, all of that effort is exhausting. It takes a huge emotional toll. I would say that one of the things, because you just, you literally knocked it out of the park with, um, you know, yes, a lot of the things that we decide to carry with us because we've, we've either known it to be true or we've been reminded. Yes. That part. So this is where this is where I'm operating from now, where I am now. None of my business. What you think, what, <laughs> what you perceive, that's not, literally that can be further away from like what my business is. Yes. So where I, I nowadays I operate from a place of softness kindness, service, yeah. but also I want to keep it all the way real. And there's certain things that even when people treat you badly, that is one of those other things where it's also none of your business. Like that's clearly a projection of whatever you're going through. None of your business. Yes. Yes. 
going to give you some space. It looks like you're really going through it right now. If you want to circle back, let's talk. Yep. Absolutely love it. And like, I'm going to let you just have all of that negative, toxic energy and keep it to yourself because it's clearly not meant for me. Even if you're trying to get it, I'm not going to take it. It's not mine. It's not mine to hold, you know? Yes. That's a beautiful, beautiful. And it's it's so important for you to share that also because so many times, you know, even even like the way you said you were listening to a podcast, you're listening to Dr. Thema and you had language that just really hit you at that moment in time. It's kind of mm-hmm. like this conversation that you're sharing where all of a sudden you're like, not my business is probably going to all of a sudden hit somebody and say, mm, I hope so. You know what? That's not my business. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I, I think that, um, gosh, if I would have, if I could go back and tell 20 something year old Emily, like, look, you're doing a whole lot of not minding your business right now and you're very centered around that and it's not going to do anything for you and it may even delay you from arriving to all of the things that yeah. you're meant for. Holy moly, I would have, oh man. She probably would have been too stubborn. She would have been in her 20s. Like she's being a mess. She's being messy right now. So yes. she probably wouldn't have been in a place to receive. But I do hope, my hopes is always like, I don't ever want to be preached. I don't want to, none of that. I'm literally like, look, this is what I went through. And if you can, if you have arrived to a place where you're ready to receive whatever that is, love that for you. I do too. And I also, (laughs) and I also love that you kind of, you know, talked about this has been your journey. Like you've been intentionally pursuing, Mm. right? Your own micro therapies or sometimes more significant therapy with other people Mm. that you've been in a very reflective path that includes practice. Mm -hmm. And it's also important to acknowledge that, right? That this is work over time for a lot of people. And that messy state that you were describing in your 20s is the case for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I I also wish that I could have, you know, fast track certain things or kind of actually put into practice certain things sooner or stayed with certain practices sooner. But at some point I'm like, "Mm, I can't really regret it. Mm -mm. I probably have to just call it all the really interesting tapestry that is my life. I have to own it. That part. And then then I also have to remember that those practices that I'm now recommitting to, I can't let them go again because they're really important. And even the practices that you're describing, it was so important. Not to mention, I feel like what is a well-lived life where you are able to reflect and be like, wow, like look at how far I've come. If it isn't if, if it isn't due to this incredible, like, point yeah, of reference yeah, that you've yeah. created during your messy 20s. Yes. Like, 100%, I agree with you. I think that it's important to be able to have that kind of base of, like, these are all my lived experiences. I know that in order for me to operate in, in a way that makes sense for me and my projects and the people that are involved in my life, it has to be from a mindful place. I have yeah. to get a certain amount of hours of sleep. I have to stay hydrated. Yes. I need to mind my business and not like tap into all these other things that people may be projecting or whatever else because you know I'm here now I'm yeah. here now and absolutely I also I love 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 that when you describe that kind of point of reference because so hard, so many times people especially people who are high achieving are um, and driven people are often kind of comparing ourselves against the thing that we haven't yet done mm. and so our attention is forward which is a great place to, to say, this is my aspiration, here are some of my goals. That's a fantastic place from which to set goals. But it's also important, as you've just described, to pause and look back. Because mm. from that place, it's not that we're looking back with regret or remorse mm. or stuck in the past, that we can actually measure the distance mm. of progress. And then we can create a feedback loop that's so powerful to be like, you know what? That's a badass move I just did. You know, like it, it yeah. took me 10 years, but look how much I've accomplished. Or in the last two years, look how far I've come. And, and I'm going to use that same momentum, that little feedback group, that little feedback loop that I've just given myself mm. as kind of the fuel that's going to help me go forward. And by the way, feedback loops mm. are great in big chunks, like looking back over 10 years or whatever. But those micro therapy sessions where you're actually building in small feedback loops mm. are brilliant. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. To keep that, to keep that, you know, affirmative information no. flowing to our brains and, no. and informing how we make decisions. I think like anything, we just have to sometimes remind ourselves of some stuff. Like 
Yeah. You know, because again, you're, you wake up in the morning, you have all these pending responsibilities and all the laundry list of things you need to do, never ending, I'm sure. And I think it's very easy to kind of get lost in all of it sometimes. Yeah. So these micro reminders or, or micro therapy sessions, it's, that's, that's the why in all of it is like, okay, I need to remember sometimes because I'd be forgetting. I'd be forgetting <laughs> how bad I <laughs> I know? forget. Yeah. It, it, yeah, I agree 100%. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to shift gears for a, a, just a minute and ask you a question about a challenging or exciting experience that you had. So I know that you have, um, you know, been, you know, leading in this uh, community space for a while. Um, one of the things that's happening is technology, AI, mm. there's all these new kind of things that are changing the way yeah. in which relationships happen. Yeah. How are some of those impacting your work and your industry? So you're in, you have, you have physical space that you um, manage yes. people who are actually coming to physical space, yeah. but there's also all of these new technological and AI advances that are happening everywhere. How are all those intersecting with your work? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, before I answer that, I want to say that it's, and I'm sure we've all heard it at one point or another where, you know, this is a new thing. It's new. And sometimes new can be scary. Yeah. Especially if we don't have enough information or take a moment to like pause and like, why is this scaring me? Right. So I remember reading an article not too long ago where it was reflecting on how, you know, when the light bulb came out, electricity, elevators, flying plane, like all yeah. these things were like, I, I mean, I, I remember with electricity, they thought it was like black magic or something, right? So what I say to, to, to kind of meet, when I hear that fear, I meet it with, well, maybe it would be helpful to like read a little bit more about it so that we can get a better understanding so that we can see what it really is. Because anything that is new and introduced and like this is what it is now, all this misinformation starts to fly, stay off of Facebook, like talk to a professional, talk right, to right. an expert, like, let's do that. Right. Um, I would say with, um, to answer your question, um, at the end of the day, whether AI progresses or stand still or decides to stand still, I think that, you know, emotional intelligence, human connection, these are all things that will continue to always be yeah. super important with business. Yeah. You could, sure, you can streamline things a little bit better now. Maybe you can kind of take some things off of your plate. Like, I love that part of it. But I also think that when people tend to lean into the fear bit of it or the fear mongering, right, they kind of lose sight of like, well, human connection, like this is what's yes. going to continue to make the world go round mm -hmm. until after we pass. Like, mm -hmm. this is just what it is, right? So I think that as far as like where I'm standing now, you know, I operate this 21,500 square foot feet of space, right? Uh, we do, we, you know, we, we're a venue provider. We host everything from brand activations to press junkets. And then on the production side, music videos, film, uh, cover shoots for Harper's Bazaar. We do a lot. And then there's a the co-working side of the business. And that's, you know, that's like the beating heart of it all, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we have all these memberships and, and, and a big part of me being successful at my job, as I have been, is being at capacity, having every private office filled, having engagement through the roof where people are coming to the events and they're connecting. And next thing you know, they're on the social media, new people are introduced to the picture yeah, yeah. And, and these introductions are being made. So my biggest thing is like, you know, we're about to launch a, a collab that I've, uh, basically connected with a good friend of mine, Jessica Campbell, shout out. She is a creator of creative currents, creative currents is a a an event program that she designed started over at Soho where it's basically for creatives and basically having a better understanding of AI and how you can make it work for you. Oh nice. So whether you are a screenwriter, um, you're a digital artist, you are in graphic design, whatever that looks like within your creative space, how can you make it work for you? Love it. A tool, yeah. a helpful tool. Our first um, uh, ampersand uh, event with Creative Currents will be on the 3rd of August. We're really excited about that. Nice. So that's Love my it. that's my whole take on, yeah, yeah. on AI and technology. I think that just like anything, I mean, gosh, 
escalators. Wow, that should that probably was like a scary thing when they first made it into the scene. And now it's like, yeah, we need escalators. We yes. need them. <laughs> it's so interesting to think about that because, <clears throat> pardon, even you're right, the more technological kind of um, advances that happen, um, the the need for and the desire mm. for the thirst for human connection is just consistently growing. And I think you know, post-COVID, the the restaurants at capacity, co-working spaces at capacity, people just constantly kind of wanting to be at events and functions and together and gatherings. Mm. I, the, I, you know, just the, the 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 desire and also the appreciation for mm. physical proximity. Yeah. So to be able to kind of live in a world where both of those things are kind of deeply held values and are not competing with each other, right. but how they're kind of um, being kind of used to integrate and to uh, leverage the relationships or create new spaces right. and new ways of connecting as far as community is pretty exciting. It's interesting to me to, to, to also watch the, I don't know, evolution. I feel like things are going so much faster than evolution. Like it's just, it's going so fast that to be able to even imagine in the next five years or 10 years, what we could potentially see mm. as an outgrowth of some of the things that are happening right now is also really exciting. So to be kind of in the beating heart of it all right now is a very exciting place. I think that, um, yeah, I, I, to your, yes, 100%. I think that while it has probably been a little bit emotionally taxing for a lot of us to continue to bear witness to historical events, it's when I, with, in regards to technology and, and a lot of these advancements that are being made and even just be, with being in Miami, who Miami was, who she was, you know, back in, I want to yeah. say 2017 to who she is now, like things are changing and I, yeah. and I, I, I'm excited about it. And, and I definitely think that it's definitely an exciting time to be alive right now. A lot of things are changing. They're getting better. Some are kind of falling behind a bit. Let's see what happens. Let's but see it's, what happens. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, 100%. Well, let's, or let's make it happen. I mean, that's yes, part of the opportunity with, with culture, right? Mm -hmm. We Culture is going to change. It is changing. But us... You know, unlike a lot of, you know, movements that are underway right now where we're saying we're going to um, try to get things back to the good old days or try mm. to kind of not allow this or not allow that is ridiculous. Culture, you can't mandate culture. <laughs> you can't say you're not allowed legally for culture to transform. It is transforming. Yeah. We are here. We are changing. We are showing up in different ways. And so to, to kind of watch the tension between what I would describe as kind of the cultural transformation and then all of the other structures within that mm. and the tension and the pull yeah. between is fascinating. And part of our opportunity is to say, th those of us who are really excited about and bringing a lot of this mindful energy and practices into being, saying, how is it that we collectively, like what you're describing with Jennifer, mm. how are we collectively going to work towards the thing that is our own aspiration, right? And mm. create the space that we aspire to be in. So- it's tension filled, but I'm also I'd also rather be in the thick of it than on the sidelines. Absolutely. Or not here to 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 be part of the the transformation. I remember when I first came to Miami, um I I came from a place of kind of, you know, being very connected to my community and as much as moving around as I was doing and wanting to explore, that's something that has never left me. And so when I came to Miami in 2008, uh, one of the first things that I found very striking, and before I say it, understand, obviously with whatever city you come from or have been to, they're operating within their own very, like, very own subculture, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, LA folks, you know, uh, New York City, London, everywhere else, everyone, they all operate with a certain kind of something, right? Yeah, yeah. One of the first things I noticed coming to Miami was that people would definitely operate with a scarcity mindset. Mm. You know that I have this project that's, that can very well be the next biggest thing. And I have the contact that can elevate that. But I'm not going to make the introduction to that contact because God forbid if that takes away from the plate that I'm eating. Mm. That's one of the first things I noticed here. And it was it it felt very alien to me because I'm like, about community <laughs> like yeah, yeah. we have to like help each other and whatever else and of course you know that was met with oh don't be so naive and I'm like okay but 
So if change, if we want change to happen, it really does have to start with us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's easy to get discouraged because it's like, what am I going to do? I'm like the, a speck in the grander scheme of things. But, you know, over time, what I noticed was if I continued to operate in this way, even if someone were to feel it, you know, someone that would be a newcomer to Miami, they've already had that kind of experience with how people operate and then they meet me then that's going to change maybe their way of seeing things. And so with all the co-working spaces that I've operated for, I mean, I still, till this day, I have clients that have followed me Mm. from one space to the other to the other because they know how I operate. They know that I believe in community and and how important it is to to be connected and, and, and all that. And so... Love it. Yeah. You didn't say this explicitly, but what mm-hmm. I took from what you said is that community also means abundance. 100%. Right? So that yeah. this this scarcity mentality is kind of antithetical to the idea mm. of community. And, and um, which is, maybe that's not what you meant, but it definitely is what I took. Like we, we there's, there's enough. There's so enough. That's exactly what I meant. <laughs> there's enough. There's enough. And not only that, but if we, if, if our energy together is in this place of abundance, we actually potentially could magnify exponentially the amount of opportunity, the amount of um, goodwill, the amount of projects or resources that we have access to. Um, But I do think that there's oftentimes, I I think it's Miami, but I think a lot of places have uh, these, you know, very scarcity driven uh, communities or spaces that people live in. And so to be able to intentionally say, this is part of the, the philosophy that we uh, espouse here and that you can expect to live here. Mm. It plants a seed. Like we, we want other people who are also coming from that place of abundance. And also we are going to behave in that way. And it starts to normalize abundance-based behaviors and expectations in ways that also then creates a really beautiful culture, which of course people are going to take with them to other parts of their 100%. lives. Right? I mean, leading by example, that's what it's about. Yeah. Similar to like leadership when people see, you know, that you're operating from a place of, of kindness and, yes. and wanting to assist and, and be of service. Uh, you know, I can only imagine that after they've had X, you know, X amount of bad experiences with managers, how they're going to move after they had that one really good experience is going to look very different. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I think the same applies just leading by example, like be the change that you want to see. You know what I mean? Like very elementary stuff. But I think that in the grander scheme of things, a lot of people perhaps aren't able to kind of wrap their heads around how that looks like yeah. in real time. And I think this is what it looks like. It looks like that. It looks like doing your own work, like mm-hmm. as you described, right? Yeah. And, and and creating those kind of big and small practices that remind you who you are and and and, and affirm mm. who you are and what you've done. It, it, it's, it's practicing kind of the things that are aligned with your philosophy, like you described, service leadership, servant leadership, and and coming from a space of abundance. Um, but but all of those things are incredibly important practices, and they're all very practical. A lot of times we're kind of waiting for something else or for someone else to make mm. things what we want them to be without realizing our own agency. So it's pretty amazing to listen to how that has manifested itself. Your agency has manifested itself in your life and also in your leadership with your with with your within your organization, but also with your clients in your career. <laughs> okay, I am going to take us to a little fun part of That's our good. show. That's okay, good. so we have some fun pictures. So these are this is the part that we call kind of rapid fire, and we selected three different photos which we will share on the screen, but I am going to show them to you first. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to explain this photo. And I have three of them. So it's a rapid fire. I know. All right. All right. So we're going to start off with this one. Holy moly. Okay. So (laughs) shout out to Siobhan White, (laughs) Victoria Warship, Rachel Richardson, and my shaman, (laughs) Nore. Okay. So bet this photo... Um, okay. So this is like at the height of quarantine. Like we were in the trenches emotionally, mentally. (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to, I'm painting you a picture. I'm a storyteller. This is how it went down. Um, everyone that I was connected to at that time was really going through it in that picture. It's a bunch of black and brown women. This is, this is us. Right. And around this time, a lot of, you know, a lot of white folks found out that like racism is still on and popping and it's still impacting a lot of our community. And so 
during that time, we, we kept getting calls. Collectively, mm. we were getting a lot of calls from a lot mm -hmm. of people and like, oh my God, I'm so sad. And it was like, it got to a point where matching everything else that was happening in the world, we were spent. Yep. So at this time, I connected with my shaman and, and I told her, I'm like, look, I want to do something that can amplify love and kindness and all of the things. And we just need this moment, right? Mm -hmm. And so she, she was like, okay, let's go. Um, so we ended up all meeting up at uh, Morningside Park. Now, pause. Mm. It was COVID era, like quarantine, really. So I made sure that everyone got COVID tested. And I was very strict. <clears throat> pardon. I was very strict about that. I wore the mask until people were like not wearing masks because the state said we will penalize you. You know, like I was by the book. Everyone got tested. We were all in the clear. And I'm like, okay, this is the idea. We're all going to meet. I need you guys to come with an open mind. And this is what we're going to do. Mm. Right. And um, it ended up being like this, you know, micro psychedelic experience of sorts. Um, the, the name of the plant medicine is called Changa. And it's it it probably lasts no more than 15 20 minutes but it takes you to this whole nother part of existence and it amplifies and as we talk about it i got goosebumps because I, I always you never forget these kinds yeah. of things but we all individually got to experience that mm -hmm. and then at the end we all it was like a very natural reaction to want to hold each other yes. so that picture was like post everyone doing it and we were just on another level of like euphoric existence like just feeling very grateful and i think that we needed that yeah. i i'm i'm really i really do believe in in being able to get back to the source and that may mean a lot to a whole lot of different people but for me it means you know getting back to the source is okay i'm here i'm alive but it's not just me, it's we. Yes, yes. Right? Yes. And so let's celebrate that. Yes. <laughs> the, yeah. You know, the sky is blue, the grass is green. Let's celebrate that. Like, what a time to be alive. Sure, a lot of things are going wrong, but also a lot of things are going right. And we have each other and we're not alone. And it's about community. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's a beautiful. I'd I would have never <laughs> been able to read all that. But the, yeah. the joy that's showing through on your faces and yeah. also given all the context, right? The timing, yeah. all those calls. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. It's beautiful. Mm. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I love it. I love the emotion that it brings. Okay. How about this one? So this is my son. <laughs> this is my son, Miles Davis. Um, you know, I, okay. So I, I got my first dog in 2018, like the very tail end. And, and I think it was, I must've been like going on 32. So I was like, I made a decision very early on that I didn't want to have kids. I felt like kids are a big responsibility and I wanted to dedicate my life unlearning and mother remothering myself. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. However, biology. Right. And so I started to feel like, God, like I, I want to raise something and, and nurture it and, and, and it's going to be good to the world. And so I looked at my husband, I was like, we need to get a dog. <laughs> and he sat me down and he's like, dogs are a big responsibility. He traveled a lot. He's like, you know, I'm out of town a lot. And so it's going to be your responsibility. I'm like, I'm grown. I know I've done the research. Let's go. So he's like, okay, cool. Do it. So then I, it was kind of funny how, when I would tell the story to a lot of friends that have wanted to have kids and they kind of went through some fertility issues that they're like, this story is way too close to home for me. And like, but like they understand. So I, I wanted to adopt. I wanted, you know, I felt like that was like the right thing to do. Right. So I, for a matter of like six months, I literally went to every shelter from Hams, uh, Homestead all the way to like Port St. Lucie. That experience, like it broke me a little bit. So I would show up early. I would go. And the only time I would be able to go is like on a Saturday, right? So a lot of my Saturdays were shot. I would travel to these places. I would, you know, be in the parking lot. But it every almost every time it was like a scene from like one of those like Black Friday Walmart situations from uh. back in the day where people just, they would rush in. And, and by the time I would find a prospective dog that I thought this could be great, mm -hmm. uh, I was uh, told, oh, by the way, um, 
you know, it has cancer or, and then, and it it was this on a loop for about six months. And I was like, this is really tough. And so finally, one day I I thought I need to take a break. This is like really a lot. And so I, I decided to kind of take a, take a beat. And then randomly I, I went on Craigslist like a week later and I literally Googled black dog because I knew that I wanted a black dog. And I found a picture of this black dog. And I think what intrigued me the most, and I've already established this, I have a very adventurous spirit. The amount of money that they were offering to like buy the dog was so specific. (laughs) It was too specific. It was like (laughs) 0.99. It was literally, the guy was like $757. And I'm like, that is very specific. So then I was curious. I'm like, bet. I, I, you know, I hit up the guy. It must have been like five in the morning on a Saturday. But I was like, I, I was, I was ready. Right. And the guy immediately like texts me back like five wow. minutes later and he's like, okay, let's meet in Kendall. I'm like, okay, let's go. So I show up, I have my friend with me and I, at that time I had never been to Kendall before. I've been living in Miami since 2008 and that was my first time in 2018. Wow. So I'm in Kendall and I'm in, you know, the guy has me meet up with him in some like miscellaneous, um, apartment complex in the parking lot. And I'm like, my friend, her dad's a hunter. So she has the bear mace. We're like ready. Because oh <laughs> you never know. We're, right, we're, right, like, right. we're women. Like, no, come on, you know. Smart move, smart move. And so the guy, like, he pulls up next to me and he calls me and he's like, do you have the money? And I'm like, I literally like look at the phone, look at him. I'm like, do you have the dog? <laughs> like, oh what? God, out of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so then he's like, so then he gets out of the car and like, I immediately like, you know, I, I, I exit the car and I, and then he kind of, I hear a yelp and my body froze because I knew that that meant that he wasn't very like gentle with right. picking up the dog. And so I immediately like, I didn't throw the money at him, but I was like, I put it against his chest. I'm like, take it. I grabbed the dog and I went on my way. Oh, but you didn't even like spend time deciding. No, you no, didn't even meet no. Nothing. Like it was, oh, wow. I knew then that I needed to like, oh. yeah. Oh, and now, goodness. yeah. So Miles Davis, that's, you know, I trained him. I wow. saw every podcast you could imagine. There's a lot of TED Talks on dog training. I saw every, <laughs> no, you don't understand. Cause my biggest thing is we cannot say one person in this room, we have always heard that one person that has a dog and they behave badly. And essentially it's a reflection of you. And then they're like, oh, she never does this or he never does this. Oh yeah. Yes, they do. They do it all the they're time. Not dog, they're not. Yes. Well, training, training is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided this is my legacy. This is my dog. Like, <laughs> he's going to be a reflection of our household. So one of the first things I did, I sat him down at home and I'm like, listen, your name is Miles Davis. Now you're a black dog. You are not going to be able to afford to be acting a fool <laughs> in these streets, like a lot of these other dogs. Uh, but after we had that initial chat, what I kind of learned, what Training a dog taught me was they are a reflection of you. And if you want them to behave a certain way, you have to just be on it and, you know, being repetitive with the training so that you're able to bring them out in the world and they're able to operate in the same level that you do in a way, obviously. Like, so with Miles, I take him to the office every day. Oh, I know I've met every Miles. you he met Miles very well mannered. He's a good dog. man. <laughs> I love that. You, I love that you gave Miles the black dog the talk. Yeah, the, the, the talk. Like, look, you probably watch it. He's like watching like James Baldwin documentary. Oh, yes, this is who we are. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the one on I Amazon. It. It's yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's really good. It's really good. I love it. Yeah, okay, yeah. the last, the last question. Mm. I have to ask you this. This is yes. one of the rapid fire questions. Yes, I have yes, two, yes. two more. I'm gonna ask you one specific about. Um, photography. Mm-hmm. And then the other I'm going to ask you is the last, last question. Okay. So you have a passion for photography. Do you think that that played a role in understanding of people and building relationships? In a way, yeah. I would say in a way, I, I would say you, okay, unless you're a professional model, I think that people tend to be very uncomfortable in front of a camera. And I'm going to go ahead and connect that with a lot of people also have a lot of um, anxiety Yeah. in the world. Just being outside of the house can be a very anxious, riddled thing. So I, I would say that my connection with photography in real life and, and you know, I'm, I've been told 
that I can be very disarming. So whether it's behind the camera or just having yeah. a conversation with someone that would normally be a bit, you know, yep. um, anxious in that situation, meeting someone new, I can be very disarming in either space. I mean, I've had people tell me where Dr. Leslie Bauman, shout out. Uh, she's my dermatologist and she has hated every photo of herself that has been taken. And back in 2016, her and I decided to make a trade where, you know, she would give me, you know, services for me being on retainer, basically. And she really liked how the pictures that I've taken of her over the years. Love it. And a big part of that has to do with because I'm so disarming, it's feeling comfortable, yes, yes, yes. right? Yep. So whether I'm taking, the, you know, her headshot or we're sitting down for some coffee, it's like people open up and if they feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the time it's it's being able to kind of remove ego from these kinds of instances yeah. where, you know, and this could also be applied to like relationship building. I think one of the biggest things that people kind of I wouldn't, it's a mistake. It's straight up a mistake where they're like, what can I get out of this? So mm -hmm. they're leading with like this opportunistic, you know, mind state, or they think, oh, well, I have my network already. I don't like no new friends. I disagree. So I think that when it comes to, you know, connection, it's being able to remove myself and okay, how can I be of service? Love it. Yeah. What kind of, you know, positive impact am I trying to create? Yeah. And also like, how can I help? I love it. I yeah. love it. That's so, it's so simple. Well, you have great skin, so your dermatologist <laughs> is, is definitely working her <laughs> magic. And it's so cool that you can create the space where people feel really comfortable kind of being themselves in a way that allows you to capture that, mm. right? Because I absolutely understand that. Yeah. Okay, the last, last question. Yes. So if you had to take a picture of one thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, something that represented what you think it means to be, to be you, to be you right now at this stage of your life. Mm -hmm. What would it be? It doesn't have to be human necessarily, but it symbolizes and reflects where you are right now. That's an excellent question. Um, I I want to say if you were to ask that to any of my friends, they would immediately be like, it has to be something with soft girl era because that's where I'm at and that's where I want to continue it. to be, right? Um, but I would say... So my husband's originally from Finland and our family house there, there's this dock. It's like on the west coast of the country. And so it's an archipelago. And what may look like, you know, a lake or a river, it's actually the Baltic Ocean. Mm. And so like right in front of the house, there's this dock. And this dock is where I have found myself taking many naps after jet lag because that trip to Finland it's like it's not rough but it's like it's long it's yeah. long um and I've had a lot of really wonderful realizations on that dock mm -hmm. um and the thing with Finland during midsummer the sun doesn't go down there's a picture oh. of that on my Instagram somewhere where it just it'll start to go down and it'll be like lemonade pink sunset oh, and then the weird. and then the sun will go right back up. So when I think of that dock, it's been such uh I don't know, it's been such an interesting place for me to realize stuff, to catch my breath, to rest, to do my face mask, paint my nails, like just like the safe place to just exist in a very soft way, mm. very softly, living softly. I love it. I so absolutely dock. love it. <laughs> I love it. And I love this, like living softly. That's, it's funny. I, um, I know this is about you, but it resonates with me very much. It's just like the place that, you know, just sounds I see so it, absolutely sis. beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Oh, and now I have a picture of that dock in my we head. Gotta go. with you we got to go. You sitting on the I can imagine go. myself in that picture now. <laughs> I'll like happily. Yes, we'll take Miles Davis on a trip. <laughs> well, yeah. So, yeah. No, yes. Miles Let's Davis. Go. Goes. Definitely. Let's go. Definitely. Let's go. Like, I would absolutely love the to. dog knows how to sauna out there. Oh my goodness! Like you don't, girl. Miles Davis has a good life. <laughs> I need to talk to Miles life. Davis about like uh, yeah. my poor dog does not have the life Miles Davis has. We're gonna talk, and I'm gonna try to get my game up. <laughs> oh man! I mean, it's been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for the conversation. I feel like I've learned so much about you, and I've had so many realizations. There's so many points that are just like bullet points, like yeah. things that I can easily and hopefully our listeners can kind of easily take away that can, you know, strike a chord with them, maybe things mm. that they can put into their own daily practice or ideas 
um, that they can bring to their, you know, to their work and their their role as kind of leaders and managers and uh, people who are trying to create more positive space and community. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. <laughs>